Welcome to Base, a podcast about weird stuff. I'm Peter C. Hine, and joining me as always is my old friend and co-host. He's tall, he's dark, he often wears a hat, and he brings messages of ill tidings from the other side of Manchester. It's Mr. Stephen James Buckley. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that wonderful intro. Hello, everyone. And we're really, really excited tonight to be joined by a podcasting hero of ours. Um, he's the host and creator of the award-nominated Spirit Box podcast, uh, which is one of the first esoteric podcasts that I ever listened to and still one of my favourites. He's guested on most of my other favourite podcasts, including What Magic Is This, Weird Web Radio, Penny Royal. He's a multi-award winning photographer. He's a globetrotting researcher. Uh, he gives lectures on the jinn, the Aghori Hindu sect. He's the co-creator of the Sigil Engine, uh, which is an electronic art and magic project which we mentioned on here before and linked to in the show notes and tonight he's our guest on base it's the presumably very very busy dara mason thank you that's a really nice intro thank i didn't you. realize i was that good at stuff uh, <laughs> we've been it watching does seem it. that you do a lot of stuff uh, it, it really does so thank you very much for making time for us uh tonight um i've talked about your show um at length on our podcast before and i've linked to a lot of your episodes um because your show i think really made a massive impact on me and it was a huge inspiration for vase um it's hard to uh, single out a favorite episode but i definitely say that your episodes with aiden wachter those three that you did were uh, some of the best podcast interviews that i've ever listened to um and i've definitely linked to them before um on on our show notes to vase but i will do so again on these ones uh because those interviews convinced me instantly uh to join your patreon which i'd recommend to all our listeners who do the same because you get longer interviews for the, the spirit box you get extra content essays photos various updates and so on on your other projects so it's well well worth it uh, but i think that the reason that i really love your podcast so much is that you seem to have a kind of natural ability to strike up a rapport with your guests whether that's um aiden wachter you've done phil hein mano Aylin. Uh, Doug Batchelor, Al Cummins, Joe Hickey Hall. Um, I mean, there's really too many uh, to go out here to single out any more. Uh, but these are incredible interviews and they're incredibly natural sounding as well. Um, you seem to be able to get the right parts of the conversation to the right parts of the interview. Um, so I'm going to go in here for a straight in for a self-serving question. Uh, what's your secret and how can we learn to do it? <laughs> <laughs> well, firstly, thank you. You know, um, I mean, Going back to to, to Aiden, like Aiden's just a really special person, you know, uh, and he he's just a really lovely, lovely person, um, and he's, he's very easy to kind of strike a rapport with. It's one of those things where where if you're kind of if you're open, right, you know, like I I come to all my interviews um, really kind of just from a position of curiosity, you know, like um, uh, when someone comes on the show when when they're like they're a guest i very much have that in the front of my mindset they are a guest you know they're giving me their time um so i'm very considerate of that um but fundamentally it's just honest curiosity you know i i want to know i want to understand about kind of their um their view of the world or, or their particular expertise, you know, but I'm also just a bit of a chatty git, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. Though. The, the curiosity that you're talking about really comes through, I think. And I think that is one of the golden things to have as a podcaster is curiosity because i think that's what this is all about and the reason that people listen is because these people are curious and i think that if yeah. you're curious too then you're asking the right questions 
Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. You know, um, like in a lot of ways, how I think of it is, is that like I get to have almost, I mean, I think Spirit Box is like, it's like 120, 150, 120 shows, something now. Yeah. You know, and like that's, that's a lot of hours of talking to people who are experts, you know, in, in their area or who have experienced uh, in, incredible things. Like, um, I get to absorb a huge amount of information from that, you know, and that's probably like accelerated my own like magical thinking and practice and, and knowledge base by, by years, really, you know, not, not a lot of people get to do that. I think we, uh, we have a similar approach really, don't we? We sort of, um, doing a podcast is almost just an excuse to probe these people yeah. and ask yeah. them questions that about things that we're interested in, that we're genuinely curious about. It's like, if it's, um, if it makes a good episode, then that's just kind of a, a bonus, really. But to us, yeah. like it, it's most what's most important is that we get the, it's to ask these questions to people that are totally you know, that know a lot more than us. Um, yeah, I mean, it was the same way for, for photography, really. You know, like the, the, the camera was a great door opener. You know that that um, the pursuit of, of photography and doing photographic essays came from a similar place, really. It was curiosity. My, my main subject matter of my photography is broadly the same as my my podcast, you know. Um, in fact, most of the first episodes of my podcast are me talking about photographic essays or stuff that's come out of photographic essays, you know. Um, so I think, yeah, I think the secret really is that is that kind of curiosity, um, openness, and, you know, I... And I, like going back to that point I made about like a person as a guest on the show and, and and being conscious of that, mindful of that, it's very much the same way that I approached photography. You know, someone's letting me take their photograph to be kind of respectful of that. And you just kind of naturally build up a rapport, you know, because I've obviously been trying to communicate with people who like, I don't speak, you know, Urdu, they don't speak English. So we're kind of like, fumbling our way through so you've got to kind of be able to 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 build up a rapport yeah i mean we're both big fans of your photographic work and i'll I'll link to that um your portfolio in the show notes uh, because there's some really uh like incredibly striking images there i mean um there's a picture of the yogi drinking from uh whiskey from a human skull um the picture of the agori sadhu uh, anointing himself in human ash and but even, even your pictures of the kitchen workers have this sort of otherworldly but quite um visceral quality to them um could you talk a little bit about how that photography feeds into the spirit box side of things and, yeah. and, and what came first? Yeah. Um, so it, it goes back to curiosity again. I've always been curious about the nature of the world, the nature of reality. I've, from a very, very young age, like, I, I just wasn't convinced that this was it, you know, like that the, the material world was it. You know, um, and I grew up in Ireland, a Catholic background. Um, it was never sufficient for me, even from a very young age. Just didn't kind of, you know, it was always forced, just a thing we did rather than uh, kind of resonated with me. Um, so I was always kind of searching for the other, you know. Um, I was very lucky that my 
parents had like a collection of these kind of like 70s paperbacks of like UFO books, Telops and Rampa, you know, like Artisy Clark. I actually found a copy. My dad had a copy of uh, Operation Trojan Horse by John Keele. Oh, yeah. Right? Nice. So I've got yeah, like a really yeah. old like 1973 paperback. So so this is the kind uh, of stuff that like my, 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 my parents had around the house. And I think that laid a lot of the foundation for it that I, you know, I had access to this stuff and was able to read and explore it. And that kind of just fired up my curiosity more. Um, but I never did anything with it, like for a long time. You know, I didn't really, like, I didn't pursue any creative endeavors with, I'd say, much gusto for most of my 20s. I just did what I was supposed to do, you know, work a job. You know, go to uni, work a job, do all the shit you're supposed to do, you know, and then find yourself in a position where you're like, yeah, is this it? Is this really it? You know, <laughs> yeah. I got to do this for 40 years. <laughs> I know that you feeling. Know? Yeah. Like this is completely devoid of meaning, you know, um, and I don't get me wrong. I'm like, I'm a fairly practical person. I understand that, like, you know, which has got to pay direct debits too, <laughs> you know, um, but it, it left me in a position when I was about, I think in my early thirties, um, I had some changes in my life and found myself with a window of opportunity, um, to basically sack off my job, had some money, um, and I'd go traveling and something I'd never done before. So I did it, you know, I, I did the kind of standard thing, went to Thailand, did the the kind of the the this the Southeast Asian um circuit. Um when I was in Thailand, I, I spent two months in Chiang Mai um training kickboxing and just involved the daily beating, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um but I brought a little kind of I I mean I did I I did photography was my my um major in in uni, right? So that's I had I'd done a lot of work then. Um it turned out that like the my lecturer, my professor is actually trained by my granddad, you know, um, which was an interesting <laughs> turn of events. Yeah. Um, but um, so I went off to Thailand. I had a kind of a small point and click that I, that I bought. And I found I just spent more time taking photographs of stuff, you know, uh, and I spent a lot of time exploring places, taking photographs um, and went then to a city called i think it's ayatoya i'm not pronouncing that correctly i can't remember but it's the old thai capital of the of of well thailand um and i was staying in a, in a hostel and it was a dude cleaning um an slr it's just sitting up the it's sitting up the in, the in the restaurant cleaning an slr and i asked him about his camera um, we got chatting and he recommended like uh, if, you, if you really want to get kind of a proper SLR if you're taking raw photographs you know bigger former photographs um get yourself oh, what was it called it was like the Nikon entry level kit oh like three uh uh three hundred or something like that uh, wait, something I, think, I mean it wasn't, wasn't even as sophisticated as that it was like the, it was right. like the, the D30 or something or D60 it was D60 right, yeah, yeah. um so went back to Chiang Mai Went to a camera outlet and I dropped two hundred quid on a, on a on a D sixty, and I used that to shoot just everything, you know. So that went from being kind of like, you know, my my kind of 
I'm rediscovering myself moment to actually just rediscover my love of photography. Um, and off I went. And I mean, some of the stuff I, I, I shot there ended up being stories in the BBC, you know? So wow. like, yeah, it was, it was almost kind of like, you know, like I, I was good in uni, but like it genuinely is just in my blood. Like it is, mm. you know, I, I, yeah. I, I literally come from a long line of photographers, you know? Yeah. So like, it was just one of those things I could pick up camera and use it. Um, and that dominated, um, my endeavors really for about kind of seven, eight years. Um, and I was very lucky. I had a lot of success, um, some awards and, uh, got to see some amazing things with it. The main thing really was I spent six months traveling around North India. And that's where I photographed the Agori. I spent some time with them in Varanasi and then the drinking of the whiskey from the skull, as you mentioned, the, the guy who anointed himself with cremation ash, he actually, he gave me a blessing and, um, what <laughs> I wasn't expecting it, like, but he just came over with the handful of ash. Just really down my face. So, people know, how did you get that photograph? So I got covered in cremation ash. That's how I got that photograph. But, That's yeah. the price you pay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it was, it was, it was really interesting. Like, and like I said, you know, I've, I've got to sit in the room and like, you know, watch an Agori Sadhu drink a pint of whiskey out of a human skull, you know, like, um, they're strange experiences. They're very transgressive experiences. Mm. You know, uh, I mean, they're more transgressive for the for the the Agori who's practicing, you know, Shavasadhana, like corpse magic, um, in, in what is a very, very left-hand path. Um, but that 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 essay in particular kind of kicked things off for me. Um, I did some work with the Sufis in Kosovo, and I did um I went back to I went back to Delhi in like 2016 and and um shot all the sites associated with the gin in William Dalrymple's book, City of Gins, and a couple yeah. of others that weren't. Um, and that, that was quite a pokey one. That That's the one where things kind of cracked open a bit, you know. Um, you mean in terms, bit, the, uh, in terms of the, in terms of the esoteric yeah, stuff? Yeah. 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 yeah that, that's where, um, where shit got a bit more real, you know, <laughs> yeah. frankly. <laughs> So what you're saying is that the photography, in a way, kind of led you to uh, kind of um, pursue the the occult, the esoteric stuff a lot more. That was I think it accelerated it. I, I yeah. think it, it was always there. So, like, I mean, I've been using the pendulum since about 13. Yeah. You know, so I was divining, like, yeah. from that age. Um, and... I, and even kind of younger than that, I kind of had like slightly obsessed with what I would now see as magical stuff, you know, like I'd kind of made up kind of weird black altar in my room when I was about eight, <laughs> you know, like, uh, but like this is, you know, it's, it's how you, it's, it's how you position this stuff. You know, like a lot of people will say, well, with, with magic, with witchcraft or this kind of stuff, you're probably just remembering stuff, you know, stuff that comes through your family line. Or stuff from from previous lives, depending on what your kind of your view of things are, um, and I think there's I think there's a lot of credence in that, to be honest. Um, yeah. But yeah, the photography stuff it accelerated it all because it allowed me to kind of pursue those interests. It gave me, like I said, it was a door opener. 
to go and, and, and have these experiences and talk to people who were doing um, interesting spiritual practices or magical practices. I think um, there's something sort of from my limited understanding of, of magic and of what magic means to me. I feel like there is something inherently magical in a lot of creative practice. Oh, yeah. Um, Definitely. In terms of when you're, especially things that are created just for the sake of creating, mm. you know, just for the sake of, you know, I'm taking a photograph rather than maybe not so much creative practices in if you're doing some kind of really shit assignment for some awful corporate thing probably not quite as magical but you know that 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 place where i'm assuming you 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 get in that place as a photographer that place where you're just in the creative zone and you're just making yeah and there's there's uh, the, the more i've read about magic um and and spoken to people about it the more it seems to be the two are very much interlinked and there's a lot of crossover um and would you would you agree with that absolutely you know i i think um the current of magic and the current of creativity are absolutely intertwined. You know, um, I also think creativity is is a form of spirit communication. You know, like it, it is not quite possession, you know, but it's similar. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I've, I've touched upon this in other episodes of Vase, but before I had a magical practice and I, I'm also a, a recovered Catholic. Um, so there was quite a long transitionary period for me, e even during the times when I didn't really have any spiritual belief, I still thought of creativity, you know, when I was doing music or when I was doing writing or anything as communing with an outside force with, with a, a, a muse, but not just a muse in an ideological sense, but a muse in a, a sense of the other, you know, you talk to the other and the other talks back, that kind yeah. of two-way communication. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, and like, it's an, it's an old idea, right? You know, you have the whole concept of like, um, Daemons, you know, um, who perform a similar function, uh, and I like I and I, I have I have a strong belief that kind of the artist and the daemon have a very very special relationship, a very complex relationship. Um, like Jung wrote about kind of being in the grip of the daemon, you know, um, and suggesting really that sometimes he didn't have a choice, right? He had to kind of do this thing, you know, that there's that, and that's what I mean about that. You get that form of kind of like overshadowing, you know, not quite possession, but you know, yeah, not quite compulsion you know, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like spirits don't necessarily understand what it means to be human. They don't understand like the nuances of a human being's life and, and societal conditions and just the bog standard stuff. And if you look at a lot of artists, you know, who've been prolific, that look at their lives, you know, famously Van Gogh cutting off mm. his ear. But but like the, 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 the world of creatives is like it's littered with bodies. It's littered yeah. with bodies. You know, it, it is the flame of creation can consume the artist, you know, or, or it pushes them to a place where they're the vanguard in some form of artistic expression, some sort of idea. And there, they, you know, society has to catch up with them. So it's yeah. a lonely place. And it's some, that lonely place can be 
one where people lose themselves. It's creative energy is formidable, but it is it is it is is dangerous. You know, if it's not expressed as well, like that will burn somebody from the inside out. You know, and this is why so many artists self medicate. You know, the the amount of kind of substance abuse, addictions, all you know, extremely risky behavior. Like it's it's that kind of pressure valve for having that kind of, you know, fire hose of, of creative energy going through you. I think um, it, that's a really, really good way of putting it, a really, really interesting point as well, um, because I think that it's true, even if you're not sort of on the vanguard, even if you've just got that creative drive, which yeah. I think me and Buckley have talked about quite a lot. We spend quite a lot of our time talking about that creative drive. And I self-medicated for a long time, you know, I mean, for about 10 years, you know, mm. I, I, I drank a lot, lot too much. And now that I don't um, drink anymore, when I feel that creative urge coming, I almost feel afraid, you know, I, kn- I know that I have to do something with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it's going to be, yeah. but I feel afraid because I know that it's going to use me. I know that I know that it's going to wear me out, and I know that it might take me to places that I'm not either comfortable with, or that maybe I just don't want to go physically or mentally. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like it, it is. It's it's it it's dangerous stuff, you know. Uh, I I think it's 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 like it's dangerous if you don't use it, and it's dangerous if you do yeah. use it. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it, it's you just have to kind of try and keep a middle path. Like, like I mean, when, when we first started talking, I, I mentioned I well, well, ten years I I did nothing. I kind of you know I wrote some stuff, nothing ever really happened with. I just did what I was supposed to do. You know, like most people, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. I'm just going to do get a job. You know, try and meet somebody, buy a house, do the usual shit that everyone else does, and then you get to that kind of ten years have passed, and you're like. I am utterly hollowed out by this. You know, I, nothing has any meaning. Like, is this it? You know, and when that starts to, you know, when that's, that rot starts to go in, you do find yourself drinking too much or taking too much of something else. There's some something that you're trying to fill that hole with, you know, because you're not expressing what's in you. You're not allowing that stuff to come through equally. You have to get the the aperture for that stuff coming through. You have to figure out what the right one is, because otherwise, you you drop off, you drop off the cliff. Like you 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 you're not in the real world anymore. Like, uh, and that's why you have so many artists doing completely mad shit. Yeah, I mean, like we've talked before about um, someone that we talk about a lot is David Lynch, and I've often thought with someone like David Lynch, he's so in touch with whether it be his subconscious or the the the, the, the spirit world or whatever yeah. you want to call it he's in touch with something he's got like a, a mainline direct link to something that the rest of us only encounter mm-hmm. at night in dreams or, or occasionally yeah. and but he's also someone who i don't think if he wasn't famous and didn't have a bunch of people looking after him i don't think he'd be able to function in the real world, like having a job mm-hmm. and, you know, doing a nine to five and doing his laundry or whatever. It, 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 he's not like that. He's just so incredibly creative and he's just like creating things all the time. And he's tapping into this sort of subconscious or, yeah. or sort of outside of our reality kind of realm 
and it's it's just like he, you know he wouldn't be able to kind of do the normal nine to five life mm-hmm. uh, and that's sort mm-hmm. of i guess i guess people like us three broadly speaking are lucky in that we have got a bit of a happy medium between the two we're kind of able to yeah function kind of function in it like uh, uh, and it, it's tricky because it's also isolating because you don't belong in either world you know yeah like um like i really struggled because I, I i used to be kind of a contractor so I'd, I'd do like a lot of photographic work disappear for six months come back and then do like six months in like a, you know an advertising marketing agency right and you then be you know i'd be sitting in a brief for some like horrendous product how are we going to approach this how are we going to deliver this come up with some shitty creative and um i just be thinking in my head three weeks ago i was watching a dude drink whiskey out of a skull how the fuck <laughs> yeah. yeah i think yeah. i think we get a bit of that after doing this podcast yeah. actually it's yeah. like yeah we've just been talking to alan greenfield about ultra terrestrials for yeah three and a half hours and now we're going back to our day jobs it's like (laughs) i had a a great example today because i was uh, i've I've been sort of excited about this recording all day uh i I work a corporate job in an office and then as i was about to leave i was packing up and the guy next to me said so uh you doing anything exciting tonight nah nah <laughs> you know, like, and then and then obviously like you know i do my nine to five and then i, I stay up till one o'clock in the morning whatever doing this or mm. a bit of music or whatever else you know because i think w- without that sort of expression uh, my life would be really really difficult and i'm the only person you mm. can talk to about it <laughs> i know <laughs> that's where we started the podcast as well <laughs> yeah that's where we started the podcast so that to t- take some of the weight off my shoulders <laughs> no we're joking of course Yeah, that was very convincing. We're both that way. reasons that we wanted you on the podcast so much here tonight Dara was because of the recent work well I suppose it's not even that recent anymore I suppose you've been doing it for a few years now uh, but on that you've been doing on Spirit Box and I think probably uh, outside of Spirit Box as well in relation to The Dark Man um, now this mm-hmm. is something that we've discussed on the podcast before in, in episode seven I recounted my own experiences um, with the dark man uh, from when I was I, I first encountered uh, him um, when I was seven or eight maybe you know as, as a kid um, maybe three times that I can think of um, when I properly saw an apparition of him. And uh, when I started um, writing stuff for this podcast and I started making a list of things that happened in my life, it was kind of like a reweirding project for my own life. So I, I wrote down all these experiences, which I dismissed as a kid and so on. And then I started thinking, well, kind of recontextualize that, you know, maybe some of this was real and, and wasn't something that I dismissed. And this was the first thing that I came back to was this, these multiple experiences with the dark man. And, um, 
It was actually listening to your podcast. I think it was episode 91 with Jessica Mitchell when she talked about seeing the dark man on Glastonbury tour. And one of the yeah. first questions you asked her was, was he three-dimensional or was he two-dimensional? And that's what really gave me the confidence to speak about it because I what had been going around in my head when I was thinking, do I talk about this on the podcast, was when I saw this figure, it was two-dimensional. And that is a really weird detail that will make it sound like I'm making it up to people. Mm. But then when I heard that you were asking this question to this person, this person said, yes, this was a two-dimensional apparition. It kind of gave legitimacy to what I'd seen. So mm. it was absolutely fascinating. And then and then I talked about it on base. And since then, other people have come up to me and talked about their experiences with yeah. Dark Man, the Hat Man, and so on. Um, how did you first come across the idea of the Dark Man? And, uh, and have you ever had any personal encounters well yes i I have had personal encounters um the darkman's probably going to have dominated my life for the last two and a half years um well three years really um in terms of my creative expression um other than that he's been around all my life you know um i think the the interesting thing about the the dark man is, and I think this is fundamental. I think it's the reason for my podcast. Uh, it's the reason for my book is he is, or it is a massively prolific figure in our culture, in our spiritual lives that is virtually unidentified, un, un, unrecognized, right? A huge figure in, in witchcraft. If you look at kind of say modern, magical practice not even just witchcraft you know you talk about like dark goddesses you got Hecate you know the Morrigan you know you 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 have this kind of big figures like you know Lilith as well so you got you know, this this kind of big female deities um but then look at in witchcraft male figures and and obviously there's things like you know like what you would kind of broadly say fallen angels, which I do believe are related to the dark man, but the dark man's virtually not mentioned, you know, uh, or unless you get into kind of some of the deep areas of witchcraft where he is, but he's not collectively known. Right. Um, and I think personally that the force that is the dark man is an emanation of is on a, frankly speaking, a pure drive you know, to, to kind of reinstate. It's part of this re-enchantment that's happening. It's happened since lockdown. Something's changed after lockdown where there's been this explosion in kind of like psychic creativity. And the dark man is part of that. That's a window that he's come through. And he's been promoting himself. Um, and I think, I think he's calling to people whom he has a tie to. There's a lot in this. Like, he's he's known as the witch father, and he's known as the witch father for a reason. You know, um, I think this is tied to family lines. Goes a long way back to you know in people. Like, if you're talking about the dark man appearing to you as a child. I would hazard yeah. there's relations in your life that have had the same thing. You know that that there is some kind of tie to your family in the dark man. Like, he, he, he is. It's, it's such a pervasive force. There's so many names from like the devil, the old scratch, Master Leonard, the black man, the dark rider, the old one, the master, Fardurka, Lord of the Sabbath, the Fardov, 
you know, Gwynab Need, uh, Lucifer, in my opinion, uh, Samuel and others, um, the Lord of the Crossroads, you know, the, the metal black man from Isabel Gaudi, uh, and the Witch Father, the Father of Witches. Like, it, it, he's, a, he's an absolutely fundamental part of the esoteric world, yet is extraordinarily difficult to pin down. Um, but that's part of the mystery, you know. It's interesting that you made the connection here, um, which listeners to your podcast will have heard you make before, about the connection between the dark man and Lucifer. Mm-hmm. And um, you also were talking then about it being a generational phenomenon. So it's likely that there's probably people in my family line who have seen him also. But of course, it will never be spoken of because I come from a Catholic background, as as I'm sure you appreciate, you know, and some things just particularly that kind of thing, particularly anything um, that would suggest either the devil in the Catholic sense, Lucifer, you can kind of equate the two uh, or... Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, and um, uh, the the spirit world is is all forbidden. Any yes. sort of contact with 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 that, you know, fallen angels or yeah. demons, um, and and yet I think it's so important because as you were talking earlier, if you ignore the dark man, as I did as a kid, you're missing a calling, perhaps. Yeah, you are. You know, like he is the initiator, so. He, he's the dark man who contains the flame of of illumination, right? The flame that ignites the mysteries, that that um will light your esoteric intellect. That's that's one of the things that he bestows, you know. And and this is where you know when you talk about creativity and you talk about kind of creative influences, and I I personally believe that this force plays out his archetype and his pattern. So I, I don't believe you can label him. I think a him is probably wrong as well. It is a force, right? But he intertwines himself into human creativity. He, he's constantly inspiring. And he does that in my, or that happens either through kind of some sort of direct communication, one that doesn't vaporize human beings, um, or through your daemons. Um, and this is why you have him appearing again in, 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 in all our stories. So like the fundamental tenets of my book is I'm matching um, very old Irish folklore and basically showing these behaviors and these symbols are exactly the same things that come up in the 17th century Scottish witch trials. And not just that, they come up in contemporary witches' experiences. Like, so there, there is there is a thread of a pattern. There's nothing concrete. There's nothing you can kind of label, that's it. But there's a pattern that can lead you to going, there's something there. There's something consistent there. Um, and... If you start to kind of reach out to that and negotiate with it, you know, you can get to a point where you kind of go, I know I've always been haunted and now I know why. 
because you're in some kind of relationship with the spirit and that spirit's in some kind of relationship with you, you know, uh, and when it happens, this is the other part of what I believe is the, the purpose of, of the dark man is his initiation is to shatter your reality. So you go from a world where things are mundane, there's no depth, there's no enchantment, there's no wonder world, there's no heaven. They're just kind of like, you know, religious crap. You come, you come to a world where you're like, magic is real, spirits are all around us, the world is utterly enchanted, you know, and that now I'm a witch. Like that's what his initiation does. It turns your world upside down. And that's done through challenging experiences. You know, it's done through that kind of like nightmarish vision, that appearance in your bedroom in the dead of night, like stuff that is, you know, conventionally terrifying because you can't deny it. That's, that's the purpose of it. You don't have space to do any kind of mental acrobatics to go, oh, well, you know, I took a lot of melanin and weird lucid dream, you know, or you, you don't have negotiation space. You get into a point where you're like, fucking hell, you know, where you're having a physical reaction, where your legs get weak and your stomach, you feel like you're going to get sick because you've experienced something that is beyond human comprehension, you know. Um, and that's part of the part of the initiation. Like, like it's, it's not fun. Like you get to a place where you're like, actually, I kind of realize I'm connected to something very powerful. Um, but you still get put through your paces. And this is why, you know, your, 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 your English witches were called cunning folk because they were able to negotiate that. You know, you, 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 you can't be casual with a force like that. Like you, you have to manage your actions, manage your words, and think about how you're approaching things. Um, but fundamentally, you know, like for me, my experiences with them have been totally re-enchanted my life. You know, if the dark man turns up in your life, right? And uh, I'm really interested to hear that he. He, he turned up to you as a very young age, Peter. Um, to me, that's fundamentally indicative of your own heritage. You know, that there's witch blood, you know, um, and you probably find that when you look back, you'll find some of your creative expressions have had symbols related to him or um metaphors related to him let me give you an example you know the icon for spirit box yeah right so i took that picture on a beach near me i went out to shoot um meteors and i was using my you know red light head torch to gauge distance and make sure everything behind me is in focus and i did this kind of cool circle and a kind of a hexagon shape hexagon whatever a shape. I don't know what the, the term is. And I 
you could see the stars through my body because it was like a, a long exposure. And where my face was, there was a flame. And fundamentally, what I've come to realize afterwards, the fucking picture I used for the icon for my podcast, before I knew any of this stuff, right, is a representation of the dark man. Like it is the yeah, headless yeah. one with the flame of illumination, you know, and you can see the stars of the night through the body. You know, he is the cosmos. Mm. Like, so, so it, it's, that's what I mean is you start to look back and you go, have I made any independent decisions? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that's the type of relationship you're, you're, this force will creatively play out through you and your demons to bring itself into the world. It's really interesting because what you were saying about you know, being the witch father and, and the calling, because yeah. obviously as a seven or eight year old, um, the, the experience terrified me uh, and it happened yeah, on imagine. multiple occasions. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't threatening or anything. It it was just the apparition for a few seconds and that was enough to terrify me. And, and being yeah. a, a Catholic kid, obviously I, I, I thought it was something terrible. Yeah, and, yeah, and I, I pretty much ignored it. Weirdly, it was recounting these experiences and revisiting them um writing them down I, I i emailed you a while ago about about these experiences um after i'd started listening to your podcast last year it was after that that i really started with my own magical practice so there was actually right. again through your podcast um aiden walker mentioned that the dark man as, yeah. as one of his and that drew me into his work and then from there i got into my shamanic practice which is sort of the larger part of my practice now and i have been drawn far more towards the catonic side mm. of the shamanic practice than i have the what they call like the upper side and mm. um, which is more like the lofty knowledge and the ideas yeah it's been down down and i've had some experiences recently which i, I won't go into now I, i'll t talk to you about it at some other point perhaps but um where where i was down in in the womb of um uh, i mean of creation you know w watching every creature that's ever been um being born and destroyed in the same moment um mm. in this in this underground um like cavern which which sounds like it, crazy but it's all linked to this uh chthonic uh, no, energy it, it doesn't sound crazy at all i, I i've been to the same place right yeah. <laughs> good <Yeah>. good <laughs> like, no i like i call it the dark womb right you no know, um and um you know you you're not the only one who's been there at all like um witches who have a connection with the dark man same thing my, my spirit guide whilst i was there told me that i could use some of that energy of of creation and and um yeah. and and it was birth and death in, in a cycle is what yeah. it was that i was seeing that i could use that to transform myself by by uh, bringing down my life uh, not into it but towards it um my, my spirit guide said that by by submerging myself closer to this energy i could change and transform and then yeah. re-emerge is that something that you've <laughs> i don't know you mean shift uh, i i don't know if i don't think it meant shift as in change into an animal i've i've, I've had 
animal animal possession before, uh, yeah. but I'm, I'm I'm talking about fundamentally shift my life, change it, change the direction of it, uh, move, uh, use that energy to uh, push myself into in a particular direction or a particular way, which otherwise wouldn't have been available to me. I, I think when when you get into when you get into step with your kind of your 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 faith when you get into to, to, into step with your soul's purpose right fate f-a-t um then you do you, you and that kind of visit the dark womb is pushing you towards that right that you can go and and once you're on that kind of fate line it is very very hard to not achieve what you want to do you know, uh, because you're fundamentally seeing the world in a different way. It's like I was saying, you know, when you're doing that kind of the life that's not meant for you because it's what you think you should be doing, you're in a period of decay. You know, you're in a period of decline and life is difficult and life is challenging. Life will always be difficult and always be challenging, but you'll find that things will expedite very quickly when you're on the path that you're supposed to be on. You know, your, your soul's purpose um, I don't know if that directly answers your question. No, uh, I mean that that that's as, as good as any answer that mm-hmm. you could give to me describing that strange vision that I had. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it is. I mean, I say it. I'm making fun, but I mean, it is one of those things that words aren't sufficient carrier for what that yeah. experience was. And mm-hmm. I think that's probably um, universal amongst people who've had that similar experience. You know, yeah, I can't. Yeah. It's very, it's very hard to put your, your finger on. There's actually, there's a journey meditation to the dark room on the Spirit Box uh, patrons. So if you, oh, if you okay. go back to that, you have a, yeah. have a look at that one. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's extraordinary. Like the, and, and it's come up several times. Like, I, I, you know, when you start to get the, the cross references, you know, you're onto something, you know. Um, it, 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 I mean, it is a place of transformation where you can sink into those waters and you can be restored, you can be healed. You know, like magic can be very draining. Like it can be very like mentally exhausting, emotionally exhausting and all that kind of stuff. It's not an easy calling, right? You know, when, you know, as a, as a shamanic practice, you've got a witchcraft practice, that is innately othering. You know, that's why the shamans lived on the outskirts of the village. That's why the witches lived in the woods, you know, because they're experiencing this stuff. And that, that just it's a partition from people who are, are, are living regular lives, you know. And this comes back to the whole thing of like, you know, witch blood. you got something, something in you that sets you apart, something that connects you to this catonic power. Like um, I, I prefer to call it fire in the blood. You know, um, and that's something that either can be come down to your line or it's something that you can, I guess, pursue or something that can be randomly switched on by an appearance of the witch father. It's an interesting thing if you look at it from a perspective of like, say, you got your ceremonial magician versus your, 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 your seventh century peasant Scottish witch. You know, it's like the, the magician goes and a learned magician goes out through kind of strict magical practice to execute complex formulas to make the spirit contact right the witch 
just had to be, <laughs> just had to be, you know, that like, yeah. uh, it was often associated with tragedy. A lot of the accounts say something bad happened and then boom, the spirit turns up to offer assistance. So that's what I mean. It's like, in a way, that contact is more natural. It's easier to achieve for that type of, of which I'm not saying that for everybody, but I'm just saying, you know, it, it, it's like they got the call rather than they were calling. Yeah, I, I, that's really fascinating that you mentioned that. But I was talking to a friend about this the other day about um, I'd been listening to a podcast and I can't remember which one it was, unfortunately. I'll try to reference it in my show notes so I can remember it. It could have been a What Magic Is This where uh, someone was talking about how ceremonial magicians use a lot of what they're doing and a, what, a lot of what they're complex, uh, the formulae and, and, and all that, is, is for their own protection. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're creating it um almost like a safety net around themselves so that they can talk yeah. directly with the spirits or whatever or these powers without the danger. Whereas a witch is more relying mm. on their spiritual allies and their relationship with the land and so mm. on as their protection. Now that path appeals to me and calls to me more, but it's also slightly more terrifying <laughs> because obviously you don't mm. have that safety net that you can. And of course it can go completely wrong for ceremonial magicians as well. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of document cases of it, but um, I, that's why I always try to approach, approach the work that I do from a place of compassion and love, because I try to give out to my spirit ecology, what I want to get back, or if not necessarily what I want to get back, but what, you, you treat it as you would a, a family member or a friend or, or 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 someone that you can feel genuine love for and someone uh, i find that connection with spirits and um any any servitors and anything like that that i do i i try to ground it in that basic feeling because that is where i feel safer mm. yeah yeah i i i think that the, the the tenant that is is always worth applying to that is not to humanize spirits, mm. you know, like not to assume they're coming from the same perspective as you or the understanding. Like, um, and you know, not to assume you're always mates. Yeah, it, it's it's this is it. It's the it's the the cunning person. You know, you have to be a little bit slippery. Yeah, that's yeah. that's fascinating because mm. it is. I mean, I mean, that's always. I mean, that's why this sort of thing is a little bit scary and a little bit. Well, I mean, look at the vision that you had, where you saw kind of life and decay, life and decay, life decay. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's we're seen in the same perspective. You know, like um, I mean, I contend in my book that we're seen as like family lines are seen as like pearls on a string, you know, that, that, that the, the witch father is engaging with you, but could be engaging in, in at the same time with, you know, your ancestors all at once. And you're just the kind of the latest version of that, but you might be the one who, that, that carries the, the, the capability to engage with him more. You know, fundamentally, I believe this is just about the proliferation of witchcraft, Mm. you know, um, and that form of enchantment.
I've heard it said before that uh, sort of things like um, when people have um, encounters with with beings, um, whether you want to call them aliens or ultra-terrestrials, encounters with entities that are non-human, um, that that is a form of... Um, like a, very much similar to how you described what you think the dark man is like a, a form of something to kind of expand our consciousness almost and kind of change the way he, the human brain works by kind of almost forcing us to think differently. Do, do you think that's kind of a similar thing? Like in terms of like these other, other entities that people see and other, whether it be, you know, UFOs or whatever, you know, that if you think about the kind of the, the end result, I think the end result, yeah, is the it's same. It's a similar thing, the, isn't it? Yeah. Whether the impetus is the same, I, you know, I couldn't say. But I think the effects are, are similar. You know, like people's worlds get shattered. Right, like talking about John Keel again. Like, you yeah, know, exactly. He yeah. just stopped yeah. doing it. He was like, oh, okay, fuck that, I'm out. You know, like, like, um, like that's, it says a lot. Yeah, I mean, Jack, you know? I think it was Jack Valet was saying that like in, uh, in uh, The Invisible College, he was saying that, like the these the people who've had these encounters, um, the, the the sort of main thing, the main thing that kind of pulls them all together, the similarity between them all is that their lives all become fundamentally changed afterwards. Yeah. And I'm not talking about you know they I don't know like a physical change. I'm talking about a, a, a massive change in their sort of in their kind of almost cosmology and in the way that they see the world and the the things that they're almost able to think or able to conceptualize or able to yeah. do um and it it sounds like a similar thing it's almost like um almost like every every so often i know that these these things can kind of move in cycles as well uh so the way that you spoke about how you feel that the hat man or the, the dark man is is a phenomenon that's come about and been let in through something to do with the lockdown, something to do with, with COVID. Mm. And it's almost like that's almost part of, you know, every so often, whatever this is, whatever we want to call it, the phenomenon, every so often it has to kind of come back and remind humans or sort of push us towards a certain way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of it is about he's had a very bad rap for a long time, you know, like um, from all you know all the the Abrahamic faiths, like you know, <laughs> it ain't it ain't good, you know. Um, but there's hints of it in like certain Sufi views of like Iblis, the 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 Islamic satan where the idea is that he refuses to bow to adam because he's the ultimate monotheist he won't he won't genuflect to anything if you could say genuflect it's more of a catholic thing um (laughs) he won't bow to 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 any being other than allah Uh, and that's one perspective it's quite a niche sufi perspective of seeing that kind of scenario but I'm kind of in a similar place now, you know. Like I, I, I see the dark man as, as an emanation of Lucifer, and Lucifer as the king of the earth. You know that that is his dominion. You know, yeah. and under the 
auspices of the, of the Most High, you know. Um, I wasn't like that three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're talking about, um, you know, I suppose the sort of uh, negotiation with the, the, this this dark energy and mm -hmm. the dark man, and you you mentioned sort of, you know, you got to remember not to treat it as a friend because these things don't look at us in the same way mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, we look at each other, you know, like you were saying, the pills on a string. Yeah. What do you think that you could do for any people who are listening and, and for me and, and Buckley as well? Yeah. Like what is the best way to sort of deal with this correctly to, to, nego to negotiate effectively? Well, I think from the outset is, is like, um, no deals you know uh you're you're looking for something kind of a mutually beneficial relationship doesn't have to have you know a quote-unquote contract right so and that's something about being quite particular in your language you can find yourself get leaky thoughts so it's like constantly policing those um i i still work in a way where i have um like my daily practice, you know, I have a couple of uh, deities and saints that I um, give offerings to every morning and, and pray to every morning. Um, and I petition him, you know, on a regular basis. If I have challenges in my life, I'll work with him. I'll work in his name. I'll work in the, in the witch father's name, you know. And this is where, you know, as children of the dark man as children of lucifer which i believe witches are um it's a very big thing to say uh totally ungrounded no need to <laughs> no need to at me if anybody's out there <laughs> um but uh you know you you have that you can have that relationship that's that's enough it doesn't have to be any kind of other promises or deals made. That, that's enough. Like petition offerings. Are you happy to talk about your book? Uh, or, yeah, sure. Or, yeah, yeah. And is, is that coming out anytime soon or anything like that? Or... I think it's coming out in winter of this year or spring. Right. Uh, it's been with the publisher for like two, two, three months. So um, they'll be cranking up the process now soon um, to start pulling it all together and getting it out the door. And do you have a title for it? Song of the Dark Man, Father of Witches. Nice. Yeah, yeah. The song is an important part, that particular phrase, right? Because, it, again, talking about creativity, it's fundamentally with, with a lot of spells and prayers is that they they need to be sung. They need to be chanted. 
and then you look at our great uh, like our great stories this day you know our our, our traditional epics mythology that they're 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 they're, they're performed they're they're sung you know um and that was quite important to put that context in because it's there is a performance part to this there's a creativity part to it as well um and i i found him again in irish folklore which i wasn't expecting so kind of if if i kind of wind it back to a couple of years ago when i first started doing the show um he just kept coming up again and again in people's experiences you know um it was so strange the same figure again and again and again um and then and then i, I found him in irish folklore you know on far dove literally means the black man <laughs> you know um so and the far dove is called like uh, the the kind of the dark druid of the men of god and some of the folklore the men of god refers to the tuna de danon they're kind of ancient kind of fairy gods type figures right and um shapeshifts has a hazel wand um starts like his activities and where he kind of um inserts himself in people's lives starts up this this totally different arc um in in um in these epics uh which is which is extraordinary um i'll, I'll give you an example so you have um the story of Oshin, who is the son of Fionn McCool um, from the Fianna cycle. The Fianna cycle is one of the, the big Irish uh, kind of um, uh, mythic cycles, big, big epic one. And Oshin means little deer. Um, Oshin's mother is a, a, a woman called Saiva, uh, Saiv. And um, she how she came into Fionn's life, Fionn is Oshin's father, Fionn McCool, the noble hero, is he was out hunting with his his band of men and they came across this deer. Fionn's dogs wouldn't attack the deer. Uh, instead, they were kind of had this, you know, all cuddling up and being very nice to each other. And Fionn just decides not to kill the deer and brings the deer back to the doe, back to his his fort. During the night, uh, a beautiful woman enters his his bedchamber, introduces herself as uh, Saiva, fairy woman, um, and asks for his protection from uh, the the dark men, the dark druid of the men of God, who turned her into a deer. Um, and as long as she's with Fionn, she's fine. Anyway, they fall totally in love immediately. And sometime later, Fionn has to go off and fight some Vikings. And Cybus perceives what she thinks is Fionn coming back and being a kind of a, the noble one of the house runs out to greet her, um, her returned hero. As she does so, Fionn turns back into the Dark Druid taps her on the head with a, a, a hazel wand, turns her back into a deer and they both disappear forever. Right, and Fionn 
scours Ireland for and never finds her. Seven years later, he comes across a wild boy living in the forest who he recognizes looks an awful lot like his his his, his wife. And um and he tells a story about being there was a deer with him who was always loving to him and all that kind of stuff, right? And that's Oshin. So Oshin is half fairy, half human, and he's a predominant figure in Irish folklore. Now the interesting thing is is if you go to then kind of say the work of of Isabel Gaudi, oh, sorry, the, the work on Isabel Gaudi, in her confessions, seventh century witch, Scottish witch, she talks about the dark man appearing to, in the form of a deer that he would often turn up in the form of a roe deer. So you have this kind of like direct line where you've got the dark man in Irish folklore turning people into deers. And, and it comes up again and again, right? It, there's like, there's poems, there, there there's multiple versions of, of, of this story about the, the woman being turned into a deer by this black magician. And... Then you have the reverse happening in 17th century Scotland, when the dark matter comes as a deer. Um, it, it's extraordinary. Like the themes are remarkably entwined. That, that's incredible, really. Um, and, and interesting that you've, you've found these links back. Um, and you've mentioned about the Fae and the link between the dark man and the Fae. And yeah. you were also talking earlier about fallen angels and that kind of thing yeah. is there a connection between the fae the fallen angels and the dark man in, in in any meaningful way um i mean it i think it's more like it's very hard to untwine into they're, they're so intertwined they're like that there are they separate things you know we don't really know what any of those things really are mm. Like the the themes overlap all the time. I, I think there's a there's an issue in terms of like as human beings we have a real need to try and label something to categorize yeah. it so we yeah. can conceptualize it, right? But we don't really know. Like um look at gin lore and look at say fairy lore. So when you look at their kind of like like Christian and Islamic origin myths, you have when Allah ordered the angels to bow to to Adam, uh, Iblis, who was amongst the angels, like I said earlier, refused to bow. Now the angels all bowed because they don't have free will. Iblis was not an angel; he he was a jinn and had free will and refused to bow. And that's where the schism happens, and they get cast out of heaven, etc. Um, similarly, in fairy lore. The fairies are angels, right? So there's no separation. There's not a separate kind of category. And they get cast down from heaven for the crime of, of supporting Lucifer in his war in heaven. But they're not quite evil enough to go to hell. They are able to kind of find that kind of middle ground and they go kind of under the barrows in Ireland. You know? uh, so it's, it's, it's similar where you can see that they, in the Islamic world, they've got a separate category for jinn they're separate from angels whereas in ireland or british and irish folklore right they're they once were the same angels were once the same but now they're kind of fairies they're different you know 
but their origin is, is that of uh, being being angels. This sort of hints at what we're talking about here is almost like a, a unification between different phenomena and into almost one phenomena, but different different expressions of it, perhaps. Because obviously, yeah. this this leads into the work of Jacques Vallée that we've mentioned earlier, and you have the connections between the fairy lore, the UFO, not UFOs as such, but more uh, uh, extraterrestrial encounters, which are more likely ultra-terrestrial encounters. Um, and and you have that connecting to all the way back around to Catholicism when you have things like the Fatima, for example, you know, where the Blessed Virgin Mary appears, but it bears, you know, all the hallmarks of a close encounter. Do, do you see some sort of unification like that around the phenomena? You know, uh, because whenever you think you have the things pinned down, it just spins out from under you. You know, and the Dark Man is a great example of that. Like he, he's a hundred names and yet none of them are his. You know, um, it, this is why I kind of specifically use the term pattern. You know, what's the pattern of behavior? Is there other 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 consistencies? Like terms like fairy, terms like jinn, like they they're it's basically the term mammal. You know, like under the term fairy, you can have fallen angels, elementals, spirits of place, the dead. You know, you can have all of those things intertwined. And it's like when you look at people's fairy experiences, they talk about, you know, going to underground palaces where there's gnomes and then there's these tall, elegant, kind of the gentry type fairies. And then there's the dead. You know, it's this endless layers of complexity. Yeah, I think one of the things based on what you were saying earlier is in terms of the the categories thing and, and the way that the, these relationships, trying to describe these relationships, yeah. in a way we can't describe them because we're human. So we we yeah. we try to put things in nice boxes and try to have things as being either this or that or is it a fairy is it this is it an alien is it a an angel, but it probably works in a way that we just cannot possibly comprehend. I think that's we, we don't have the language to express what that relationship is. So, so our desire to label all this stuff probably comes from a human limitation. Yeah, or having said that, it could also be so. There's this whole idea, isn't there, that they're going into like the the all the kind of quantum physics stuff, whereby our uh, our perception of reality is basically almost just like an interface, and it's kind of stopping all of the good stuff come through almost, and so that that we're not seeing it fully because we've evolved to to not see things fully because that's how we're able to function you know we, we the only way we can function is through not being able to see what true uh quote reality looks like you know and so perhaps i don't know what i'm saying here i've i've lost it's all, the filter model isn't it the yeah. filter model yeah yeah but yeah. you i i think you two know what i'm getting at and hopefully i'll listen yeah. to it as well <laughs> yeah. they can't see my wild gesticulations and <laughs> the three different pens i've got on the go that i'm kind of fiddling with but i think that you all get the the general idea that there's there's we, we don't get it we don't we can't possibly describe it we try and i think that there are people who come closer than others uh, again, going back to your David Lynch's and your, you know, your people who who, who are sort of more in touch with yeah. uh, the, the, these things, but like well, it is just it's beyond us, isn't it? You know, I I think I think by the nature of kind of our 
embodied state, it is mostly beyond us. But there's a whole concept of the idea of hybrids, you know, where you have both gin lore, both in fairy lore, that people who are half this and half that. You know, going back to Ushin, and the reason the kind of I, I talk about Ushin in my book a lot is because he's half fairy, right? Like in Irish lore, he ends up debating St. Patrick and doing quite well, right? So you've got somebody who like <laughs> is half fairy debating with the patron saint. Like, and that gives you an idea of how embedded um this mythology is it was in that kind of, you know, in in, in the Irish psyche um of, of fairy lore. So the, the 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 half fairy thing is is so strange. And again, I, I would have laughed my ass off this three years ago. I'd be like, mm. dude, really? You know, like <laughs> um but but now less so. In Laua, now I think there is something I think there is something other. There is an otherness to people who are having these prolific experiences. You know, um and there's something in them that allows them to do that. You know that that fire in the blood, and it's a, it's an old idea, it's a very old idea, you know, um, and that's what I think some of the separation is. That's why I think some people are are better suited to to being able to perceive this stuff because of something there, lineage, fire in the blood, whatever you want to call it. thing that's been prevalent recently which i think might be a branch of the dark man mythology which we've touched upon mm. is this hat man thing yeah and it's almost like it's a modern expression of a similar thing although it's become urban like made into an urban legend, hasn't it? You know, because you've got the Benadryl thing. I've been trying to get hold of the the documentary. I was hoping to watch it before we did this podcast, but I, it's not available in this country to stream at the moment. But there's a Hatman documentary about people who've seen him, and it's become very much the sort of creepy pasta thing yeah. that's been kicking yeah. around the internet. And it seems like this is almost like a modern version of these fairy tales that are being churned up. Like I've got no doubt that somewhere, somewhere someone has seen the dark man or, or something uh, or some expression of that dark power. And then it's become this wild sort of creature, you know, and you get the t-shirts now and and the, the Benadryl jokes and so on. Um, And do you think this is modern folklore being created? I am. I, I, you know, I think, I think modern folklore is, is, or I think folklore is always being created. You know, we, uh, again, it, it, it sits under that kind of magic of creativity and how creativity is ultimately tied to manifestation. And you can get into ideas like egregores and what have you from enough people believing in a thing that it gets 
a pool of psychic energy that it can generate itself from. Um, but with, with that, with the Hat Man, I, I've heard a lot of different stuff about about the the Hat Man that it, like they're a different dimensional beings that can kind of interface with with human beings. Um, I, I think more broadly speaking, the nighttime visitor is where it overlaps with the dark man is the same thing as the dark man. I don't know, but it seems to be similar. There's similar things with like, you know, the, the original version of like nightmare basically kind of means kind of being crushed at night, something laying on, on, on somebody. And that seems to happen with, with the, the shadow people or, or the hat man. People feel like they've been pinned down. They can't move. But the sleep so, paralysis. Yeah. Them. Yeah, being hag. hag ridden is another term for it. Yeah, yeah. I've yes. uh, I've had a visit from the hag before, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Because when I my my vision from when I was a kid and I saw um, the dark man, he was wearing a hat, but like mm. his hat wasn't his main feature, which is which mm. is weird. It wasn't a, like a long, wide brimmed hat or yeah. anything like that. Uh, but he was dressed, and and even though it was almost like he was a silhouette, but I had a feeling for how he was dressed and he was dressed in a suit. Mm. Uh, it wasn't a, a very old fashioned suit, but it was, I mean, I, I would say probably first half of the 20th century type mm. thing. And there does seem to be a, a trend for him being either smartly dressed or formally dressed. Um, you know, there's yeah. the long coat and so on. Do you know what that might be a, a, an expression of? Well, it's, it's an interesting detail because that comes up again and again. So you have like, um, Right, you know, another word for the fairies not it was the gentry, right? Like there, there was kind of a, a like a whole kind of taboo about talking about fairies, so they would often kind of like refer to them in in very kind of um, respectful ways, like the good people, you know, that kind of thing. Exactly the same in Islam with the jinn, um, but there was this kind of a, a assumption of some kind of royalty or ascendancy, so. You would often hear uh, descriptions of fairies being depicted as kind of, um, you know, like seventh-century noblemen, very well dressed. You know, obviously in black, <laughs> the normal thing. Um, with uh, talking about the, the witch father, but one of the details around the suits that I find quite interesting, and you touched on it there earlier, is they tend to be out of time. Right, so they tend to be kind of from a generation or a hundred years before that. You'll see descriptions with phenomena like that all the time, where you know, and even with the kind of the men in black, with some of the kind of original accounts of the men in black, they'll turn up in a Cadillac that's like twenty years ago. They're wearing suits that are again out of date, thirty years, uh, and like that's an interesting feature. And what again that harks to me is that whatever that's whatever is interfacing with, with people is perceiving time in a different way and doesn't understand the nuances of human fashion, <laughs> you know? So it's like, well, this is a suit, so it's the same. <laughs> you know, and again, that, that's kind of like, you know, spirit thinking versus, you know, human thinking or spirit intelligence or whatever the most appropriate word is. But that's, that's a significant difference. And, and I, and I think harks to that, difference in perception of time um so i mean is it the same thing i i 
don't know. I think there are I think there are significant differences, to be honest. Um but the 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 difference in appearance with kind of modern or the contemporary fashion is something that comes up in fairy lore as well, you know, and it's something that comes up, yeah. as I said, in, in the Dark Man. No, sorry, with the Men in Black. ask our guests at this point in the show if they have any recommendations for any uh, books or music or movies or television shows not just that would connect to the dark man and that phenomenon or even to the spirit box but just stuff that you've been enjoying recently or you think that our mutual audiences might appreciate mm-hmm. um joshua cutchins um ecology of souls ecology of souls yeah book yeah, yeah really really good book definitely worth worth people's time um what else is there that I've been enjoying? I don't know, it's a good question. You're stumbling. <laughs> have I have I enjoyed anything? I don't know. <laughs> Do we ever really enjoy anything anymore? <laughs> I've removed for wit. <laughs> so where can people find you where can people find your work and um and w- what's coming up for you so i uh, just google dara mason you know i find my portfolio site i'm only on instagram i'm notoriously hate uh, social media i mean I, I like scrolling it i just don't like interacting with it there's too many of them <laughs> yeah. you know i'm well, I mean, i'm a middle-aged man i'm th- those days are behind me you know um <laughs> Like it's great to keep in touch with everybody. Is it? <laughs> no, it really isn't. <laughs> um, so I'm only on Instagram, um, and uh, my I've got a Patreon for for Spirit Box. That's it. Brilliant, and um, we'll we'll link to all that here as well and um if you want to find vase you can find us on twitter and instagram we we do we do both of those ones but we don't do facebook um we're um at vase and vase then base spelt backwards so that's at v-a-y-s-e-s-y-a-v you can find us on Bandcamp, where you can support us by buying the soundtrack by our very own student james buckley and any money that we make from that goes directly back into the podcast and you can now also support us we have opened a Ko-Fi or Coffee or Ko-Fi account and that is a way that people who can afford to and who are enjoying the podcast can just sling us a few quid um, and that goes directly back into the podcast as well and if you become a monthly subscriber for just a few pounds on Ko-Fi then you get access to our Discord server and the Discord server is a wonderful community of weirdos who enjoy talking about weird stuff and we'd love to have you join us 
Um, you can get us on www.vase.co.uk and, and that is the best place to find the show notes because they don't get cut off there. Um, you can email us on vaseinfo at gmail.com. Um, you can find us on Mastodon. Uh, I'm kind of neglecting Mastodon now because it just seems to have gone uh, no the way one's really of the on Mastodon. That's exactly it. It's like, um, can you be arsed? That's the thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, so that's, many know. platforms. <laughs> yeah. You know? and, and it takes up so much of your time as well. Oh, and then, then oh. there's the doom scrolling, you know, once you get locked into one of them, I, I can spend just a day just going through and through and through. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is a waste of your time. Let's just... <laughs> it is. I, I, mean, yeah, I mean, but here's like, I mean, I know you're trying to wrap up, so I'm sorry for starting. Oh, no, 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 it's fine. But, but like, I mean, I, I, I literally had like, the dark man, like how I perceive it, speak to me saying, "Get off, <laughs> get off! <laughs> it's not yeah. for you. And yeah, don't yeah. engage." You know, and and like what that is is telling me to focus on stuff that develops me, right? Develops me in in, in the. I mean, again, this is we talk about how you negotiate with the spirit. They have a motivation doesn't also doesn't always align with yours. You know, mm. the end goals may not align, but. You know, I, I I direct communication from that, and I'm not the yeah. only one who's had those as well. Yeah, I think so, social media yeah. is sort of like it feels to me a lot of the time like it's an enemy of creativity, but it's also a kind of sometimes the only way to sort of spread what you've created. Yeah, it's 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 really it's really hard. Like, yeah, mm. I'm I'm addicted to my phone as anybody else is, you know, and like I, I think that's why I I inherently don't want social media on my phone because I don't need any anything else on top of it. You know, like it's, I'm already stuck to the bloody thing, you know? So it, it's, I think that's a useful exercise, but also it's about focus and it's about where you're spending yeah. your time. Because like, as you said, doom scrolling, you're like, you know, an hour's gone. What have I done? Yeah. You know? and, and like you're saying, like if you engage with it, it does feel just like you're screaming into the void, yeah. you know, and, and that everyone else is doing the same and no one's listening to each other. Yeah. And it's quite a horrible, empty feeling, you know, like uh, like talk about feeling hollowed out. If you spend yeah. an evening just scrolling on, on Instagram or Twitter, you do feel like that. <laughs> it, it, it's, tr it's truly brutal, you know, yeah. and uh, like you look at kind of what it does to, to, to young people and what we're finding now, papers that is like a direct influence in mental health problems in in young teenagers because when they get to 13 and they get their first phone and they go on social media mm. you know uh, it, it it's not it's not always good i mean it's putting ideas into my head about things like um is it the like the opposite of spirituality you know like because you're, you're sort of throwing your time and your attention away on something that's never going to better you or or um i, I don't know yeah. i think i think there's something to that you know but i like I inherently believe, and as you pointed out, right, you saw that you went to the dark room, you saw life and death, life and death, you saw nature, right? Mm. And the the dark man for me is kind of the true face of nature, right? Um, and that face has fangs, you know, uh, like it, it's, it's brutal. Like mm. it's beautiful, but it's brutal as well. That's just the way nature is. If you're, totally immersed in an artificial digital world and i mean totally immersed you know i mean the people who are just like just constantly posting stuff constantly right uh or, or slightly performative like they're jumping on trends yeah you know, like if you're jumping on trends do you, do you do you believe it do you have an investment into it 
Like, what is your motivation other for other than attention? And you separate that from, okay, what's my motivation to go out and do something outside? Um, like, go out into somewhere a bit more natural. What am I achieving from that? You know, it's an introspective thing. It's something that's, but it's also connecting with space. Whereas when you're totally immersed into a digital space, what are you connecting with? What are you getting from it? You know, I, I, I and I, I, like I said, I, you know, I, I'm almost tired of hearing myself shit on social media. I'm like, yeah, okay, we get it, Dara, you know, but like <laughs> it, it, it's, you will connect to, in, in my personal belief, you will connect to spirits of place. You know, you, you will sense the, the, the life that is out there beyond kind of what you can see if you're out in nature if if nature is part of your life you will have better access to that right um not like it'll happen for everybody but you know you're you're closer to it definitely yeah you know yeah 100% yeah and I, that's one of the things that we've really been exploring with vase is i one of the things that I've been feeling very strongly is the connection between the magic and the magical practice and nature and the space that mm. you're in, you know, the, the, the feeling of going out there, the feeling of trying to connect with the spirit of the land that you're practicing yeah. in. And I, I find that completely essential to, to my yeah. practice. Um, and I, I don't really understand how it can be done any other way. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same. Yeah. It's, it's probably why I'm always banging that drum, you know, like, you go outside in your garden at night, you know, um, and just stand there for a while, and then things will happen, you know. Or if you've got access to a garden, I wish I should add, like, but yeah. it, it's it's absolutely it underpins this type of experience. Again, look at all the witchcraft accounts. Look at all the the, the Scottish witchcraft accounts. Where did this stuff happen? You know. It didn't necessarily happen in kind of, you know, past metropolises. It happened in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> you know, on, on, on lonely roads and tiny, you know, bothies. What's beautiful about it, I think, is what you were just saying is that you can connect to that in your garden. It, you don't have to be in the wilderness, I don't think. Yeah, um, there's you're right. a, a managed woodland um, mm. near near to me, and it's only about 20 years old, but mm. it's it's there's a lot of nature there you know there's a lot of creatures that live there and so on and i've had some really beautiful and quite terrifying experiences just in that little woodland now it's not ancient forest yeah. but it's it's there it's it's nature and if you go there without your headphones and, and without any distractions like you say and you, and you take it all in then things do start to happen i don't even have a garden i've got a yard uh but even the process of like feeding birds regularly and actually having a regular uh a regular kind of communion with these creatures that mm -hmm. come and having like a relationship with them and they know in the morning that I'm going to come and put the, the, the worms down and they're going to come and eat them and scatter a lot of them on the ground and then another bunch of birds mm -hmm. will come and eat the ones that they scattered and then like even that is something that feels special to me uh, in a way that I can't properly articulate I just know that it's something really important to me and it's like a, a, a ritual now um, mm -hmm. And yep. it's, it can, you can find it like, like you were both saying, you know, you can find it wherever you just have to look for it and not be on your phone. Yeah, exactly. But, but more, you can have, you know, 
pulling the thread of what you're describing there is like that that stewardship of place. Yeah. You know, you you, yeah. you are caring for the the life in in, in, in your area, the wilds, you know, the, the wildlife in your area is like that doesn't go unnoticed. You know, the spirits of place, the spirits who who, who govern that space would notice that. You know, that's the, well that's that's my belief, but like I've certainly found that in my experience. Buckley's got the, the the job now that at the end of the episodes we usually ask a sort of more light-hearted question which is like banish any bad feelings that might be but <laughs> yeah, I don't know I feel yeah. like I feel kind of silly doing that now and like, this has been quite a deep and personal episode hasn't it we've it's been quite uh, almost moving yeah no I I did feel myself well up a couple of times during this which has been it's, it's been it's, it's just touched me uh, yeah. a lot yeah song. thank so you th- thank you for being so open with us well, my pleasure well. thank you for having me this question, however, does have to be asked because it is part of, you know, we've done it for every episode now. So if we don't do it now, it'll just sound weird. Um, so my question to you is, okay, so you're, you're having a a, um, a night in with the dark man. You two are just sat there, you know, uh, chilling. And uh, you've, been, you've, you've had some music on. And uh, the dark man says, hand me the orcs. I want to put some music on. What song would the dark man put on? Well, he has, he has all the best bands, isn't he? I don't know. It, it's 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 very hard to say. <laughs> uh, by, by the way, have you seen Bob Dylan's like interview where he talks about like um, he gets asked why he's still touring, and he says, "I'm just keeping up my end of the bargain." <laughs> and he, says, he says, "Like who really? with?" <laughs> And he says, like, the commander of the world up here and other places, right? I swear to God, like, this is, it's, it's something else, you know? So maybe he'd play Bob Dylan. I don't know. Yeah. All on the watchtower. He's signed to his label. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That's that's maybe like Bob Dylan. Amazing. (laughs) 